You can compare what each gospel writer wrote about Jesus and his ministry in the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for January. It's titled, Jesus, A Study of the Words of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Browse before you buy at issuesetc.org or call Concordia Publishing House, 1-800-325-3040. Jesus, A Study on the Words of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, costs fourteen ninety nine. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for January, Jesus, A Study on the Words of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I think we tend to imagine that a woman like Sarah in the Old Testament was just along for the ride. She wasn't really an active participant in this covenant that God had made with her husband when he called him out of Ur of the Chaldees and told him to go to a land that he would show him. And then having arrived, he promised him that land and along with it, many great other things like, I will make your name great. I will make of you a great nation. I will multiply your descendants. I will give you this land. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And through you, all the families of the world will be blessed. Is Sarah just along for the ride, or is her life, too, shaped by that very promise? Welcome back to Issues Etc. We're going to remember Sarah, wife of Old Testament patriarch Abraham. Dr. Kevin Golden joins us. He's pastor of Village Lutheran Church in Ladue, a suburb of St. Louis. He has a Ph.D. in biblical studies with an emphasis on the Old Testament from Concordia Seminary. Dr. Golden, welcome back. Good to be with you. In the book of Hebrews, it says of Sarah, by faith Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. What is that telling us about Sarah? Well, you'll recall that Sarah is one of a variety of women uh, in Scripture itself, not just Old Testament, also New Testament. You might think of uh, uh, Elizabeth, mother of John the Baptist, who uh, their wombs were closed, as the way that Scripture describes it. And uh, in each one of those, the Lord opens the womb. In Sarah's specific case, as Hebrews describes, it was uh, that it was uh, the Lord who opened the womb because she considered him faithful who had promised. Now, the point, of course, of faith is that it always directs us away from the individual who has faith to the one in whom they have faith. And so this uh, points out very clearly Sarah is a grand example to us of faith, that she takes the Lord at his word, trusts in him, and that is what gets the job done. The Lord does things by his word, and so by his promise, she is able to conceive, even though she's well advanced in years, approaching, uh, she's in her 90s, approaching 100 years old, still able to conceive, not because it was within her, but because the Lord is good for his word. Sarah was both Abraham's half-sister and his wife. Was that an unusual arrangement? Not terribly unusual in uh, that specific time frame. This would not have been uh, something that others would have necessarily looked oddly at. But, of course, this is not what we would normally expect as we read through the whole of Scripture. It's not until a later time that we get the very clear Word of God, such in the book of Leviticus and elsewhere, where he restricts marriage so that it does not include close family members and such. Of course, all the way back at the time of creation with uh, Adam and Eve, since 
the only people to get after them that were around to be married would have been their own children. That would have been obviously the only option. But by the time of uh, Abraham and uh, Sarah, it was uh, not as common, but it wasn't unknown. And so this wasn't a, a particularly shocking thing. And it predates uh, those specific biblical commands that would have said that you shall not marry your sibling. Was there an economic reason for those arrangements to, in effect, keep the wealth within the circle of the immediate family? Well, most certainly so. That would uh, be one of those, and especially because at that time period, you would hand things on specifically to the sons, and daughters did not have inheritance rights, typically. This would ensure that this daughter would would have rights. Also, she's a half-daughter, and so that also can have an impact because they don't share uh, the same parentage completely, and so this ensures that she's well taken care of. Then, to speak to their early situation, obviously, they are childless, Abraham and Sarah. Abraham, even before the call of God to leave Ur of the Chaldees, is an immensely wealthy man. What would have happened to that upon his death? Yeah, so without any children, this, uh, on one hand, would be a question of to whom it would go next. Now, when they do leave, as they travel along, you may recall that uh, he has his uh, his brother's son, Lot, who goes along with him, his nephew Lot, I should say. So there would be some uh, concern about inheritance there. Also, there would be some concerns about even passing on things perhaps to a servant. So we could uh, talk a little bit about Eliezer of Damascus, who is Abraham's servant, that uh, there would be uh, some thoughts about it being passed on to him. But of course, through this all, one of the chief concerns is that Sarah would be cared for and that her needs would be met. Dr. Kevin Golden is our guest. We're talking about Sarah, the wife of Old Testament patriarch Abraham, remembered on the 20th of January. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for January is a Bible study of 24 lessons that compares what each of the gospel writers wrote about Jesus and presents Jesus' ministry in its chronological order, right side by side. Find out more about Jesus, a study on the words of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John at our website, issuesetc.org, or call Concordia Publishing House, 1-800-325-3040, and ask for the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for January. When we come back, does this dual relationship provide opportunity for trouble in the future for Abraham and Sarah? Declaring to you the whole counsel of God, you're listening to Issues Etc. The Third Commandment teaches us to remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. We do this when we hold God's Word sacred and gladly hear and learn it. Jesus invites the weak and heavy laden to rest in Him, our true rest, because His yoke is easy and His burden is light. This weekend, rest in Jesus as you hear His Word and receive His gifts. If you are in Southern Illinois, you're invited to join Trinity Lutheran Church in Milstadt to rest in the grace of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Learn more at trinitymilstadt.org. Concordia University Chicago is a distinctive, comprehensive university of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. We're committed to increasing LCMS faculty and staff members. Hi, this is Dr. Russell Don, President of Concordia University Chicago. If you're a member of our Lutheran Church Missouri Synod congregation, please consider joining our staff. And if you have a terminal degree, please consider joining our faculty. Send us an email at human.resources at cuchicago.com. 
College Preparation Station in Maryville, Illinois offers ACT, SAT, and PSAT test prep, scholarship application classes, college and career counseling, and more. Hi, this is Lori Konsky, president of College Preparation Station. We have helped our students obtain more than $7 million in tuition scholarships in 12 years. Find out more at cpsprep.com. Let us help you create a vision and find your future. The College Preparation Station in Maryville, Illinois, cpsprep.com. After my abortion, I felt great relief because the crisis was done. The decision was made. Now I had to try and live with it. Only about 38% of the women they approached agreed to take part. And I think that pretty clearly skews the results. I think that women who agreed to participate in the survey may have less moral qualms about abortion. The issue is simply this. Where do you start? Do you start with a theology, with an ideology, and then you go to the Bible to see if the Bible conforms to this? And if the Bible, sad to say, doesn't conform to this, then you simply alter the Bible or reduce the content of it until finally it conforms to your own ideas. The same many that are impacted by the death of Christ are the many that are impacted by Adam's sin. So if we see the impact of Adam's sin as universal, that parallel is going to cause us to say, okay, Jesus and the impact of, of his life and death and resurrection, that also is for the same people, which is all people. I assure you, you are no worse sinner than a Peter who denies Christ three times after standing up and confessing boldly he would never leave him. In a half hour, we'll play Issues Etc. Soundbite of the Week. Those four soundbites in their entirety, we'll play them for you. The listener with the best vote gets the LPR bundle package. That's an Ad Crucem Luther Rose medallion, the I Have Issues t-shirt, an Issues Etc. pin, bumper sticker, note, pad, and tote bag. And... We will start taking your votes in a half hour at one 623 6943 We're remembering Old Testament matriarch Sarah with Pastor Kevin Golden. He has a Ph.D. in Biblical Studies with an emphasis on Old Testament from Concordia Seminary. Dr. Golden, how does this dual relationship of both half-sister and wife create an opportunity for some trouble later in the lives of Abraham and Sarah? There are two specific incidents where this really pops up as a, as a problem. One is when they uh, have to travel down to Egypt, which itself is kind of a foreshadowing of what would ultimately happen when the people of Israel as a whole have to go to Egypt because of a famine. Well, Abraham and Sarah have to do something very similar, go down to Egypt. And while they're there... Abraham knows that his wife is quite an attractive woman. He's concerned about the Egyptians uh, desiring her as their own wife, so he passes her off as only his sister. Now, it's a half-truth. Of course, she is his sister, but withholding the fact that she is also his wife, and uh, therefore he's looking to save his own neck, if you will. And uh, there's a later incident where he does the exact same thing, except this time it's in regard to a a nearby king by the name of Abimelech. And uh, in each instance, Abraham passes her off as only sister, not as wife. And a couple of things result from that. In each situation, the Lord is good for his word. And he has promised that Abraham and Sarah, that they are going to be the means by which he continues the line that leads to the Savior. And so he's going to safeguard them. And so problems come upon Pharaoh's household when he takes Sarah as his wife. 
Also, problems come on Abimelech, and when both of them discover what happens in each incident, they're rather uh, disappointed in Abraham and saying, why didn't you tell us this? This is the Lord protecting the line that he has promised is going to lead to the Messiah because he is faithful to his promise. The other thing that it points out is this, that Abraham, while he is known as a great pillar of faith, and there's a lot of good reasons to see him that way. It's also a good reminder that the man uh, was, like you and I, a sinner. And so he did not always uh, remain as stalwart and strong as he should have. And so he uh, had some uh, rather difficult situations such as those. So in other words, he should have, in these circumstances, trusted God's promise to bring an heir through Sarah, a child through yes. Sarah, and said, well, okay, I don't know how this is going to work out, but some way it's going to work out, so I don't have to lie about the identity of my wife. He should have trusted that, that overarching promise that is the theme in the story of Abraham. You are exactly right. And eventually he actually learns this lesson because while uh, this does not directly include uh, Sarah, who's our topic, nevertheless, you may recall Genesis chapter 22, where uh, he's told by the Lord, Take your son, Isaac, whom you love, up on the mountain. I'm going to have you sacrifice him. And again, Hebrews gives us a great interpretation of this, where it points out that the reason that Abraham is willing to do this is because he knows that his son is the heir of promise, and so he has to live so the line can continue that will eventually lead to Christ. And therefore, he uh, was knew that if he did kill his son, that the Lord would have to resurrect him because that's how the line is going to continue, and God is always good for his word. So Abraham does learn that lesson, but here's an instance where he was really balking at that and had not yet learned the lesson because he doesn't trust that the Lord is going to safeguard both him and Sarah. Don't both of those incidents with both the Egyptian one and the one with Abimelech, don't they end up, ironically, enriching Abraham? I mean, he he ends up profiting from both of these situations. Right. And again, this is a little bit of foreshadowing what will even happen with the Exodus, because when Moses uh, finally gets Pharaoh to let God's people go, and of course it's not Moses who does it, it's the Lord, and uh, with that tenth and final plague, the death of the firstborn, and the Egyptians finally say, get out of here, please be gone, we don't want any more of these plagues, and they uh, give them uh, all kinds of riches and such that they leave with. The same kind of thing happens in these instances, including when Abraham and Sarah leave Egypt, that they uh, leave with greater wealth than when they had arrived. And so here you see that despite... Abraham and Sarah's own shortcomings, especially Abraham, he was the one in the position of real leadership here. Despite that, the Lord is still good for his promise. He said he's going to safeguard them, and he's going to take care of the line that leads to the Messiah. So therefore, he goes about it this way. What is the meaning of the change of Sarah's name from Sarai to Sarah? Of course, this happens right at the same time that God renames Abram to be Abraham, the more familiar name for him. And really at the root of both the name Sarah and Sarai is the same Hebrew word that means princess. But the biggest thing is this. It's not so much the change in what the name means, but the significance is that when God names somebody, he is showing his authority over that individual. And really, in the biblical sense, when you have authority for somebody, you have responsibility for them. That he is saying, I am good for my promise. 
that I have promised that I'm going to bring this about, everything I've said to you, that uh, you're going to have these numerous descendants like the stars of the sky, sands of the seashore, and such. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to follow through on that. I've given you, and to make it clear, I'm renaming you to say that, yes, I am responsible for you, and I will provide for you. So again, it is part and parcel of the promise that guides Sarah's life. That's exactly right. And this is the way to ultimately see both Sarah and Abraham. Everything about them is running through the promise that God has given to them. Now, this promise begun in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, which is the call of Abraham, and by extension, also the call of Sarah, because she is his wife, and the big part of this is the offspring they're going to have, that everything runs through that promise from that point forward. So if you're going to get them right, you have to get them in the context of what God has promised them. That's everything. There are several parts to that promise. It is to make of Abraham, and as you say, consequently, of Sarah, a great nation, make his name great, bless those who bless him, curse those who curse him. And then there is the promise of the land that they, their descendants, not Abraham himself, yes. their descendants will inhabit. And then through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. That's a pretty big promise to one man. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And it's interesting. Genesis 12, 1 to 3, when you're getting the initial giving of that promise, there are seven specific promises that are given there. And of course, seven is a huge number biblically, also especially in the book of Genesis, seven days of creation, for example. And so when things come in seven, they really get your attention. And any one of those promises by themselves would be huge. But the seven together is all the more huge, not just collectively, but because it is a seven. And typically also, there's a building impact often in sevens. So that the seventh one is the big kahuna, if you will, the one to really pay attention to. And so the big one there is, through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And this is most certainly a promise of the Messiah, the one who's going to descend from the line of Abraham, the line of Sarah as well. And this is how all the families of the earth are going to be blessed, because from their line, you're going to get the Savior of the world. It's interesting to note that Sarah is integral to this promise, that it's, it is demonstrated again and again in Abraham's life, some of the incidents we've actually talked about, that he's not just going to keep this any which way, but he's going to keep it through the womb of Sarah. Is that true? That's exactly right. As we noted earlier, uh, she's in her 90s when uh, finally a child is born, and their son Isaac comes along as the one who's going to continue that line leading to the Messiah. Earlier in time, both Abraham and Sarah started wondering, uh, how is this going to come about? So they looked to alternate means. Abraham looked at, well, I could adopt my servant, Eliezer of Damascus, and through him have this go along. The Lord rejects that, saying, no, that's not how I'm going to do it. Then Sarah herself comes to Abraham and says, oh, you can have my my servant, Hagar, and have a child by her. And Abraham does actually do that. He has a child by her, Ishmael. And the Lord says, no, that also is not how it's going to do. This is the child of promise. And that's made a lot of later in Scripture as well, that it is only the child that God has promised through Sarah that really is the way he's going to go about this. 
Now, that plays out a bit in Genesis itself, but maybe one of the biggest ways it plays out is uh, how the Apostle Paul takes hold of that in his letter to the Galatians, because he's dealing with the Galatians saying, uh, you can either be a child of the free woman, or you can be the child of the slave woman, Hagar, and the child of uh, the slave woman is not the child of promise, it's the child of the free woman, the child of Sarah, who is the child of promise. This is how the Lord works. And so Paul can use that as a way to talk about you're saved, not by your own machinations, your own way of doing things, as they try to do with Abraham and Hagar, but rather you are saved by what God does, his promise, him following through on his word, as he did with Abraham and Sarah, and so also he does it for us through Christ our Savior. I noticed that all of the covenants, whether it be the covenant of Genesis 3.15 or Noah or Abraham or even the covenant of David, all of them involve childbirth. Every single one of them is about childbirth. What should we note about how it is God's going to fulfill ultimately all these promises and covenants in childbirth? Well, it ultimately, of course, is fulfilled in the birth of Christ through the Virgin Mary, and this is huge leading up to the birth of Christ, and it begins already back in Genesis chapter 3, where the big promise, as soon as Adam and Eve fall into sin, is that he's going to send forth the seed, the offspring, even singular, of the woman, uh, and he is the one that will strike the head of the serpent, even though the serpent strikes his heel, and this is the first promise of the Messiah right out of the gate. As soon as there's sin, God is promising there's going to be a Savior, and he does it specifically by saying it is the offspring of the woman. And so this is why you get all these genealogies, especially in the Old Testament, that they are all tracking that promise how is that line going to end up at the promised Messiah, the one that was promised, first of all, of Eve, then eventually of Sarah, and on down the line, and then it's fulfilled in Christ, being born of Mary, which is, of course, why, if you go to the New Testament, you have genealogy really given in two places. You have a genealogy in Matthew 1, you have another one in Luke chapter 3, both of those are the genealogies of Jesus, and that's kind of the end of the genealogies of the Bible because the whole point has been met. It's through the birth of this child, through the Virgin, that everything finds its fulfillment. So everything leads us right to Christ. Dr. Kevin Golden is our guest. He has a PhD in Biblical Studies with an emphasis on Old Testament from Concordia Seminary. We're talking about Sarah, wife of Old Testament patriarch Abraham. Sarah did not always trust that promise. We'll get some examples next. This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we'll study Jesus anointed by Mary. The triumphal entry. Jesus' response to the Greeks who wanted to see him. Jesus fulfills the prophets, and Jesus shines his light in our darkness. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, as we continue our walk through St. John's Gospel on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily verse-by-verse Bible study on demand at thewordendures.org and on the Lutheran Public Radio app. 
recently graduated from high school or college and looking for a chance to serve a community in need while sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, Lutheran Young Adult Corps may be for you. Lutheran Young Adult Corps provides opportunities for long-term, full-time service for 10 weeks through the summer or 10 months over the school year in places like St. Louis, Philadelphia, and Boston. Find out more about Lutheran Young Adult Corps by finding us online at lcms.org Y-A-C-O-R-P-S or on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Lutheran Y-A Corps. A mobile Lutheran Bible study. You're listening to Issues Etc. The Simply Classical curriculum for special needs moves at my child's pace and gives her exactly what she needs. So writes Amber, a homeschooling mother who has joined thousands in homes and schools, teaching from this uniquely Christian classical approach to special education. Teach students with autism, learning disabilities, or Down syndrome based on ability level rather than chronological age. Use promo code LPR20 today at classicalspecialneeds.com. classicalspecialneeds.com. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Listen to chapel services live weekday mornings from Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. But if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just. Morning Chapel from Kramer Chapel. Live weekday mornings at 9 Central, 10 Eastern, 8 Mountain, and 7 Pacific at issuesetc.org. and give you peace. We're talking to Kevin Golden about Old Testament Matriarch Sarah. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. LCMS Ministry to the Armed Forces is the Lutheran Federal Credit Union Ministry of the Month. During January, when you open a Lutheran FCU loan to meet your financial needs, or when you use your Lutheran FCU credit card for a qualifying amount of purchases, Lutheran FCU will give you cash back and give that same amount of money to LCMS Ministry to the Armed Forces. Learn more at LutheranFCU.org. Lutheran Federal Credit Union, good for you, good for the church. LutheranFCU.org. Dr. Golden, this promise that guides the entire life of Sarah, as you mentioned before, she did not always trust that promise, did she? No. You know, there's uh, the situation with Hagar, and that's Sarah herself who says, well, why don't you have a child by my handmaid, Hagar? And that obviously was because she was faltering a little bit at that moment. Similarly, you have how she responds when she even hears word in her 90s that she's going to have this child. She laughs about it. It it would uh, take it as that she thought this was unthinkable, that this was beyond a possibility. So I want to talk a little bit about that. The Lord visits in kind of a theophany, a, a, an appearance as a man with two companions to Abraham and Sarah while they're camped at the Oak of Mamre. And she overhears this conversation and she laughs about it. That, I think, is what you're referring to. Let's just make it quite clear. She's never had a child and she's well past the age of having children. And it is, in fact, not just difficult, but physically impossible for her right. to have a child. Is that the source of her unbelief? Well, yeah. And so this is how it goes amongst us sinners. And Sarah's right there with the rest of us. She needs a Savior for the same reason we need a Savior. We're all sinners. And what often drives us to not take the Lord at his word 
is because it goes beyond what we would expect. This is not how things operate. You don't have women in their 90s giving birth. She is beyond childbearing years by a long shot. And so therefore, no, this shouldn't be happening. And yet it does because the Lord is the Lord and he does what he does. Should we note that God makes Sarah wait a quarter of a century from the time the promise is first delivered until he makes good on it? Yes, and, uh, you know, that's an interesting thing to think about, Todd. I know that I have been married not quite 23 years, and to imagine that uh, I was waiting this long before a child would come along would be rather difficult. Now, of course, there are some uh, couples who always wait because they they long for the Lord to grant them a child, and yet uh, that never happens. But here they're operating under God's actual blessing and his promise that they are going to have at least a child uh, because that's the only way you're going to end up as the father of many nations for Abraham and Sarah as the mother of many nations. And so they wait and wait for the promise to be fulfilled. That teaches us a lot, and this is one of the great things we can take away from Sarah, is the importance of not only taking the Lord at his word and knowing that he's good for his word, but also recognizing that his timing is not our timing. And this is one of the great things that comes out of his timing, is it makes it very clear that the child is born not by the ability of Sarah's womb, but by fully by the power of God's word. And this is how the Lord loves to do things. That teaches us to, to look at things the same way, that one, having patience for any number of things, maybe most especially for the return of the Lord himself, something he has promised that he will come again for us, but also recognizing that how he fulfills his promises is that they always come to us by the word. And so taking God at his word, knowing that he will follow through on that, the word that he speaks to us in holy absolution, the word that he speaks to us in our baptism, the word he speaks to us at the altar when he gives us Christ's body and blood. Hey, I look at that and I see bread and wine, but yet his word says, well, with this bread and wine, I deliver actually to you the body and blood of Christ, and faith takes hold of that very word. The birth of Isaac gives us an opportunity to hear the faith of Sarah as opposed to the unbelief of Sarah. She laughs, the Lord says, you know, why did you laugh? And she denies doing it. But then one year later, she gives birth to Isaac there in, uh, in Genesis chapter 21, and now that laughter is kind of transformed from unbelief into faith. How is that? Well, and here you can see when the Lord fulfills his word, faith takes hold of that again and sees what he is doing. And so now, instead of laughter of incredulity or a difficulty of believing, now uh, she can laugh uh, at the beauty of what God has done. So specifically what we're told there in Genesis 21, Sarah says that uh, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And this is not laughter as in cynical, but as in joyful, because how wonderful this is. Now, you have something very similar again that will happen later in time, a couple millennia later almost, when it comes to uh, the birth of John the Baptist to Elizabeth, who also, beyond childbearing years, thought this wasn't going to happen and now can rejoice in what the Lord has done. There's an incident right after the birth of Isaac when, oddly enough, Sarah sees the child that was born to her servant through Abraham, the servant Hagar, she sees this child laughing and she's incensed and wants Abraham to send 
the mother and the child away. Tell us about that. So it is yet another example where on one hand you can see that Sarah is a sinner like you and I. She is in need of forgiveness, in need of a Savior like you and I. But the child, his actions there are a fit reminder to Sarah of the reason that Ishmael even exists is because of her own inability to take God at his word regarding the promised child. And so she had other designs and such. And so it is an opportunity for us all to be called to repentance, for we all struggle in the same way. But the other thing that's well worth taking note of there is that the Lord is gracious. And so not only is he gracious towards Sarah that she would be forgiven through such a thing, but also he does provide for Hagar and Ishmael. He uh, does take care of them so that even though Ishmael is not the line of the promised Savior, nevertheless, God watches over Ishmael and provides for him and such because the Lord is good to all. After Sarah dies, Abraham acquires a parcel of land for her burial. It's an interesting story. Tell us that story and how it's also guided by that promise that God had made to Abraham. Well, one thing that has to be kept in mind to really appreciate this is, remember, Abraham and Sarah have really been moving around significantly during their time, not only as they had left Ur the Chaldees' original home, then they moved up north and west to Haran, and then eventually they'll move south into what we know as the Promised Land, and then they'll end up in Egypt, and then they move back up north, and they're very nomadic in many ways. And God had given the promise all along to Abraham that part of the promise was, your descendants will inherit this land, the promised land. And that's that promise, again, God is always good for his word. So this is the very reason he's going to end up sending Moses, and he's going to pull his people out of Egypt later in time, because I'm good for my promise. I said they're going to get that land, and it's time for them to get the land. But also, you can see that Abraham has learned through all this to take God at his word. Because although they had been moving around, what he ends up doing is he buys this piece of land from the Hittites who controlled that specific spot. And that specific spot, though, was in the land of Canaan, if you will, part of the promised land. And so here's what Abraham is essentially saying, is that I am taking God at his word that this land is going to belong to my descendants. And so that is where my wife is going to be buried. And then that cave where she is buried becomes an ancestral cave where future individuals will be buried there as well. And this is all testament to the Lord had worked faith in Abraham that uh, truly his descendants would receive the promised land as promised by God. They want to give him the land, but he refuses even that gift on account of the promise. That's exactly right, yeah. So he, as you rightly said, the Hittites want to give the land to him outright. And there's quite a bit of back and forth that goes on here between the owner of the land, this Hittite, and then also Abraham going back and forth. But it settles on when the Hittite says to him, hey, what is this land worth this amount of money, really? That's, that it doesn't matter. You let, just let me give it to you. But there, Abraham hears him actually give a price, and so Abraham says, okay, here's the money for it. And this is all about Abraham knowing that this is not to be received through the hand of another, but this is being given through the hand of the Lord, 
because it is part of the promise. And so therefore, he's not going to receive it from that individual without paying for it. A couple final questions. Um, after Sarah Abraham, this is kind of the little known story about Abraham. He takes a, several other wives and has many other children. But we are told that he gave all that he had to Isaac and he sent the other children away from Isaac. Why did he do that? Well, a significant part of this is uh, cultural, but even more so, it is, again, about the promise. Now, Isaac is the son of promise, but culturally, the number one recipient of your inheritance would be the firstborn son. But of course, Isaac is not actually the firstborn son. The firstborn son is Ishmael. It's not Ishmael who gets the big inheritance. It's Isaac, because he is the child of promise, and this is all about handing this on in accord with the promise of the Lord. Finally, what's the best way for the church to remember this Old Testament matriarch, Sarah? Now, there's a lot you can remember about her. Even uh, the Apostle Peter in his first epistle talks about her as an example to us of uh, true beauty that is found not external but internal, which is something great to say because, remember, she's known for her external beauty, but that's not the greatest beauty she has. It's what is within her. But even that is not really the, the chief thing to remember about her. The chief thing would be this, is that she is the vessel, she is the recipient through whom God keeps his promise. And this is true for Abraham, true for Sarah. Both would struggle with the promise and trusting in the Lord with that promise. But the Lord is always good for his word. And so that's the best way to remember Sarah, the recipient of God's goodness, not because her faith was perfect, not because she had everything figured out and, and always did the right thing, but recipient of God's goodness because the Lord is gracious and he follows through on his promise. And that gives us great hope as well, of course, because in my own struggles, in your struggles, in everyone's struggles, we know the Lord is good for his promise, uh, not because of what lies within us, but because what lies within him. Dr. Kevin Golden is pastor of Village Lutheran Church in Ladue, a suburb of St. Louis. He has a Ph.D. in biblical studies with an emphasis in the Old Testament from Concordia Seminary. Dr. Golden, thank you. Always good to be with you. For the remainder of Issues Etc. live this Friday afternoon, January the 17th, it's Issues Etc. Soundbite of the Week. We'll play the soundbites for you next. You can compare what each gospel writer wrote about Jesus and his ministry in the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for January. It's titled, Jesus, A Study of the Words of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Browse before you buy at issuesetc.org or call Concordia Publishing House, 1-800-325-3040. Jesus, A Study on the Words of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, costs fourteen ninety nine. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for January, Jesus, a study on the words of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Do you need a home, car, wedding, or student loan in 2020? Check out Lutheran Federal Credit Union. During January, when you open a Lutheran FCU loan to meet your financial needs, or when you use your Lutheran FCU credit card for a qualifying amount of purchases, Lutheran FCU will give you cash back and give that same amount of money to their Ministry of the Month, LCMS Ministry to the Armed Forces. Learn more at lutheranfcu.org 
Lutheran FCU. Good for you. Good for the church. LutheranFCU.org. What is the Lutheran Witness? Simple. It's a monthly magazine on faith and life, theology and culture that helps readers interpret the contemporary world from a Lutheran Christian perspective. Filled with expert insights, good writing, and inspiring stories, it also provides essential church information for LCMS members. What is the Lutheran Witness? Simple. It's the flagship periodical of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, and it has been for more than a century. Visit cph.org witness to subscribe today. LCMS Disaster Response provides guidance and assistance to congregations who seek to proclaim the gospel and show mercy in the wake of disasters. We can bring capacity to your congregation through on-site assessment, volunteer training and congregation preparedness, and through grants direct to your congregation. For more information, follow us on Facebook, keyword LCMS Disaster Response, or visit our website at lcms.org disaster. That's lcms.org disaster. Sanctifying your vocations with the Word of God. You're listening to Issues Etc. Thanks to the following congregations for standing with us by becoming an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor. Bethel Lutheran Thunder Bay, Ontario. Faith Lutheran Capistrano Beach, California. Grace Lutheran Racine, Wisconsin. Emmanuel Lutheran Kansas City, Missouri. Mount Calvary Lutheran Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Peace Lutheran Hastings, Nebraska. Risen Christ Lutheran, Arvada, Colorado, St. John Lutheran, Strongsville, Ohio, St. Peter Lutheran, Arlington, Wisconsin, and University Hills Lutheran, Denver, Colorado. Find out how your confessional Lutheran church can support this worldwide outreach by including Issues Etc. in your mission or advertising budget. Just go to issuesetc.org, click Support, Donate, and print the one-page flyer. When your congregation becomes an Issues Etc. sponsor, we'll publicize your church on the radio, at our website, and in the Issues Etc. journal.